0: This is Tom Fox, and I'd like to welcome you to a special five part podcast series sponsored by ECI on the 2023 Global Business Ethics Survey. In this podcast series, I am joined by ECI President Pat Harnett, and we take a deep dive into the survey. We look at some disturbing findings, including pressure to compromise standards. Perceived retaliation, observed and recorded misconduct. We also look at culture strength, risk reduction, and have some recommendations for you based upon this report. This podcast series will not simply review the 2023 GBES, but give you actionable information that you can benchmark your compliance program by or take back to your executive leadership team, to help improve your overall compliance program. I know you'll enjoy this special five-part series, which is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back again with Pat Harnett, president of ECI, for our concluding episode in our five-part series on the 2023 Global Business Ethics Survey. Today, we're going to take a look at the report's survey's conclusion and then some recommendations that Pat and her team at ECI have put together based upon the information in the survey. So, Pat, first of all, welcome back.
1: Thanks for having me again.
0: So, Pat, let's start off with uh, some of the conclusions or maybe the top five conclusions uh, that ECI found in this year's GBES.
1: We use the conclusion section to put together all of the key findings, weave it into what's the big takeaway when we look at trends around the world. And that's what's important about this. The the data in GBS is very useful for individual organizations that want to benchmark how they're doing against specific metrics. But this report is on the whole, what do we see around the world? And it, it really comes down to this, that The five major metrics that we have looked at over time that we've shown to be the ones that are indicative of the well-being of workplaces from an ethics perspective are not painting a good picture. Pressure is at an all-time high, and we know that when employees say they feel pressure, they're more likely to observe misconduct. Not surprisingly, more people are actually observing wrongdoing in their workplace right now. And while it's good that people are willing to report what they are observing, in fact, more of them have than in the past. That number went up this year. Retaliation, the ever-present problem for companies, continues to be a significant problem. It's happening at alarming rates. But maybe most importantly, the extent to which people are saying that the cultures they work in are not strong from an ethics perspective. Ethics is not a high enough priority. They don't believe that the standards really matter in their workplaces. When we put all that together, it tells us that, first of all, things aren't great right now, but unless organizations take steps to implement high-quality ethics and compliance programs, which we've proved in this research, is what really moves the needle Things are only going to get worse. And what's at risk is not only the well-being of workplaces, but also the trust of the public in business. Employees or consumers, people nowadays pay so close attention to the conduct of businesses. There's a lot at risk for the business sector.
0: This report ends with some recommendations. I'd like to spend some time going through these in, in some detail with you. Uh, Let's just go through them as you see fit or however they are laid out in the report.
1: So the first recommendation we make is arguably the most important, and that is for business leaders to put into place a high-quality ethics and compliance program. And by that, not just we've got a code, we've got a helpline, we've done some training, we're good, or we have investigation procedures, but it's really spending time understanding what it looks like to have a higher level program, because that is what actually changes culture in an organization and reduces the risk of non-culture. Um, so the report itself actually contains a link and a recommendation of some of the work that we've done. And I not so much ECI, but professionals in our field who have come together to help us define an HQP. Um, so that's the number one priority. You wanna change the situation and reduce the risk going forward. Focus on the extent to which you've done that. Next up. Another one is to focus on managers because they are a major driver, not only in terms of what your culture is going to be, but also they are one of the drivers of the extent to which employees feel pressure to compromise standards. So some of the things that companies can do is to help educate supervisors on the things that they do that are creating, could be creating undue pressure on employees that they may not even be aware of. We've also seen over time that there are a lot of ties between economic well-being, company strategy, and the extent to which people feel they have to break rules to succeed. Those are all the things that the more a company can educate managers about, the more likely it is that managers become a helpful part of the solution to reduce that kind of pressure.
0: I'm particularly struck by number three for a couple of reasons. One is, frankly, it's simplicity. Two, it's cost effectiveness. Three, it's cost. And whenever you can put those three together in in a solid recommendation, you've really given every every compliance professional, something they can take away. Tell us about number
1: two. The third recommendation is, is, it's as simple as this, just regularly remind your employees of the resources that are available to receive reports on misconduct. I, I, most companies now have some form of helpline process or reporting systems in place. Some have multiple channels where you can go. And putting up posters or having an annual code and email is helpful. But the reality is 65% of your employees are observing some kind of wrongdoing throughout the year. And they don't always remember where those places are to go. So the first thing an employee will ask when they observe wrongdoing is, do I know where to go to report it? So regularly messaging that through both formal channels, but also getting managers to actually talk about it every now and then, to remind employees that there are places to go to raise concerns, to ask questions. The more you remind employees, the more you're messaging that this is important, but also that the company is going to respond. And those are some major factors that will encourage them to come forward.
0: At the next uh, recommendation speaks directly to one of the key topics of discussion throughout this podcast series, which is retaliation. So how can companies take a look at their retaliation program, either implementing or upgrading that?
1: There, some, there have been some good practices that have emerged over the last couple of years where companies will not only just message that we don't tolerate retaliation, but they've actually developed formal anti-retaliation programs. And that's where they take steps to, first of all, make sure that there are training programs for managers to recognize the presence of retaliation, to recognize the things they do that can be perceived as retaliation, but also formal systems where if an employee comes forward to report, there's a process in place to not only follow up with the employee involved and and frankly, even the person who is alleged to have done wrongdoing, but also to monitor their well-being over time. Employees who experience retaliation are not as likely to come forward and tell the company that something bad has happened. So good anti-retaliation programs anticipate that and monitor how an employee is doing in terms of performance reviews, changes in their job, to be sure that they're not seeing indications that retaliation has happened. The other thing is that the more a company does to have a formal program in place and actually communicate that across the organization, they build a reputation of not tolerating retaliation, and that goes a long way.
0: At the next one is similar to the recommendation about reminding employees of the resources available to them in terms of encouraging top managers to engage in really ethical and compliance behavior to demonstrate a strong ethical culture. What's your recommendation there?
1: Yeah, and the language of that recommendation, if you download the report, actually summarizes the metrics that roll up into what is an actual strong ethical culture. So it's things like encouraging and having systems in place to not only encourage, but hold leaders accountable for talking about the importance of ethical conduct keeping employees informed, modeling ethical conduct, disciplining wrongdoers when they overstep the rules, but also an important one that really makes a difference in a long lasting way is to have performance metrics that hold managers accountable for doing all those things. Those are the behaviors that that add up to a strong ethical culture. And if you don't have performance metrics in place to measure the extent to which leaders are doing it, you're not as likely to have it continue over time.
0: That next up is not simply managers to engage in strong ethical behaviors, but holding all employees literally accountable for the organization's values and standards. I'd like to start by asking, why did you break out all employees from managers? And then how would you help a compliance officer think through implementing this recommendation?
1: We Included all employees because it actually is an important metric. People tend, when you look at an individual organization and ask people, is everybody held accountable to the rules? More often than not, they will say the rules are applied at different, to differing degrees depending upon where you fall in the organization. And that's a big driver of whether or not employees believe the organization's code and their values really matter especially when you talk about behavior of very senior leaders. Is everybody held accountable to the same rules? Then that helps people to say these standards really do actually play out in our behavior. So part of what a compliance officer can do is not only convey that, working into performance metrics, but also, and I know we've talked about this a lot as a profession, but regularly reporting summary statistics of allegations that have come forward and been substantiated and discipline that's been merited out, but also sharing the level of employees that were involved. Most employees, particularly lower in an organization, don't believe that people at the top are held to the same standards that they are, and they really need to be.
0: How you conclude with a recommendation that I'm almost going to say could have been written by the Department of Justice because they've told us how important they think it is. And really that, uh, I think, defines how important this is, and that is to assess your ethics and compliance program, to assess your culture, and to assess the impact on both. How would you counsel or perhaps help a compliance professional understand the need for this incredibly critical stuff?
1: It seems like an obvious recommendation but it's surprising how many organizations don't do it. And if and to your point Tom if you look at how the DOJ talks about how they evaluate a, an effective program they're looking to see if organizations actually assess themselves. I am always surprised by the GBES results. It's a long survey. It's a commitment of somebody when they take this survey and I'm always impressed by the percentage of people who make it all the way through and answer all the questions. And that the same is true when you ask people within an individual organization. Employees want to tell you how things are going from an ethics and compliance standpoint in your company. And it goes beyond just that kind of assessment. You should also be looking at, have we put into place the program activities that are known to really be most effective with an ethics and compliance program? So it's, do we have the right design? Using DOJ's terms, is it well-designed? But also, does it really work? And there are some known practices out there to assess how well a company is doing along those lines. And so it's just important to do it. And one of the things I'm particularly proud of is that this year, we're making a great deal of the metrics from the GBES study, the findings available to people so that they can take a look and get some benchmarks that can be helpful.
0: Pat, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode and indeed our full series. It's been a ton of fun for me to be able to visit with you about the 2023 Global Business Ethics Survey. And I hope our listeners will take away from this not only some of the challenges, but some of the opportunities as well. But before we leave, I wanted to ask you if our listeners wanted more information on either PCI or the 2023 GBES What would be the best place for them to go?
1: They can visit our website at www.ethics.org and find out not only how to access the GBES report, but also get on our mailing list, get other resources. We will be doing follow-on reports through the GBES. There's a ton of data we did not report on. So certainly visit our website, make sure you're on our mailing list so you'll be notified when other reports come out.
0: Pat, I can't thank you enough, and I look forward to continuing this conversation.
1: Thank you, Tom.
0: This is Tom Fox again. Thank you for listening to this episode of the special five-part series on ECI's 2023 Global Business Ethics Survey. I have a link to the survey in the show notes, so I hope you will go to the ECI site and check this out. If you'd like a special five-part podcast series for your product or service, please contact me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. This podcast series has been a production of the Compliance Podcast
1: Network.